Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called, In Divine Desertion, A Human Presence, Saintly Wisdom from Two Teresas. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, May the 10th, 2009. When Mother Teresa's private correspondence was published in 2007 to coincide with the 10th anniversary of her death in 1997, people were shocked how letter after letter described in excruciating detail the deep darkness that plagued her for 50 years. Detractors accused her of hypocrisy. Devotees couldn't believe it was true. But it was true. Mother Teresa describes her darkness in many ways, but most of all, she describes it as an absence of God's presence, as an emptiness, a loneliness, pain, spiritual dryness, or lack of consolation. Listen to her own words. There's so much contradiction in my soul. No faith, no love, no zeal. I find no words to express the depths of the darkness. My heart is so empty, so full of darkness. I don't pray any longer. The work holds no joy, no attraction, no zeal. I have no faith. I don't believe. And as for her famous angelic demeanor, she says, quote, the smile is a big cloak which covers a multitude of pains. My cheerfulness is a cloak by which I cover the emptiness and misery. I deceive people with this weapon. She repeatedly admitted to her confessors that she felt like, quote, a shameless hypocrite, end quote, for teaching one thing but experiencing something far different. Abandoned by God? It sounds impious, but it's a common experience. When Catherine Green McCrate was in grad school, she experienced her first major episode of clinical depression. Five years later, doctors finally diagnosed her as bipolar. After five hospitalizations, two courses of electroconvulsive therapy, in constantly changing her drug regimens, she's finally experienced genuine improvement in stabilization. She wrote a book, and it's called Darkness is My Only Companion. In that book, she grapples with what she calls the apparent incongruity of that agony with the Christian life. Green McCrate's book title comes from Psalm 88, verse 18. My friend and my neighbor you have put away from me, and darkness is my only companion. She wonders why God allows such suffering. Why does he seem to abandon someone who's in such pain? Why does he not answer prayer? Is there some connection, she wonders, between sin and suffering, the physical and the spiritual, the medical and the religious? 
Similarly, Mother Teresa's letters explored possible explanations for her interior turmoil. Maybe it was punishment for sin, a trial to purify her faith, a temptation from Satan, or maybe a consequence of her hasty personality and physical fatigue. But sometimes there aren't any answers. There weren't for my mother, at least that any of us could tell. She attended church all her life and was a church organist for two decades. The last 30 years of her life were a long, slow slide in the tentacles of clinical depression. Psalm 22 for this week is the classic text on the absence of God's presence. It makes for painful reading. The poet praises God and pours out his heart to him, but he also argues with God. His candor is so much more authentic than the pious cliches that we use to mask our pain. He complains that God is not only remote, but silent. His prayers go unanswered. He says in 22.11, Trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Friends ridicule his faith, leading to social isolation. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. These friends wrongly regarded his misfortunes as proof of divine displeasure. As if recounting some bizarre nightmare, the psalmist imagines raging bulls, roaring lions, and wild oxen attacking him. Threatened by what he calls the power of the dogs, he loses his composure. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. He can no longer control his destiny. And so he compares himself to, quote, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Psalm 22 reminds us how much God prefers heartfelt authenticity to superficial religiosity. The psalms of despair encourage us not to suppress or candy coat our feelings of abandonment. They don't discourage our cries of dereliction, our sense of divine desertion, but in fact they give them voice. Jesus himself screamed the prayer of Psalm 22 when he hung from the cross, Mark 15, 34. The psalmist believed that ultimately God, quote, has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. With the wisdom of her confessors, Mother Teresa concluded that her own darkness was not an obstacle to God's call to serve the poorest of the poor, but instead it was part and parcel of that call, a means to fulfill her call. In her own deep darkness, she identified with the dereliction of the poor and shared in the sufferings of Christ himself. She thus translated personal experience into human empathy. When believers are at their best, 
the absence of God's presence is met with the presence of his people. No person has ever seen God, writes John in the epistle for this week. And as Mother Teresa, Green McCrate, the psalmist, and many other saints have testified, often we don't even feel or sense his presence. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 1 John 4.12 Every human being should be able to say, God might feel remote, but his people are near. Teresa of Avila, 1515-1582, a Spanish mystic nun, reformer, and writer who experienced divine divisions, put this point most memorably in her poem, Christ Has No Body. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. The church is thus the visible manifestation of the invisible God, or in Paul's words, the physical body of Christ on earth. We alone, suggests Teresa of Avalon, can mediate the divine light amidst the experience of human darkness. And now for further reflection. When and why have you felt most abandoned by God? Consider 1 John 4.16. We know and rely on the love that God has for us. And finally, consider another poem by Teresa of Avila. It's called Let Nothing Trouble You. Let nothing trouble you. Let nothing scare you. All is fleeting. God alone is unchanging. Patience everything obtains. Who possesses God, nothing wants. For God alone suffices. For books this week, I review Lori Ann Farrell, the Bible and the People, New Haven, Yale University Press, 2008, 273 pages. In 2004, Lori Ann Farrell was the guest curator for a Huntington Library exhibit called The Bible and the People. This book is a spin-off of that research which was also the subject, by the way, of a 2007 PBS documentary. 
Farrell has written what she calls a cultural biography of the restless, peripatetic text that is the Christian Bible. She treats the Bible as a material artifact and limits herself primarily to English Bibles of the last thousand years. Her book includes 55 black and white illustrations of various Bibles that she examines. Farrell begins with the two-volume Gundolf Bible, an illuminated manuscript from the 11th century. And then, eight chapters later, she concludes with teen magazine format Bibles of the 20th century, like Revolve and Refuel. In between, she moves the reader from single hand-copied Bibles to mass-produced Paris Bibles in the 13th to 16th century that standardized and became portable, into lay Bibles, Psalters, Victorian family Bibles intended for private devotion. Chapter divisions and verse numbers entered in the 16th century, as did the very intense and divisive politics of translation with the rise of the Protestant movement. When Farrell moves to America, we learn that our first Bibles were in Spanish, German, in Algonquin. In her earlier chapter, she argues that widespread illiteracy did not necessarily mean biblical ignorance. Well, in the later chapter, she observes that Bibles newly translated into the vernacular of common people by no means guaranteed understanding. The many iterations of the Bible are fascinating. From being modern, far from being modern conventions, many centuries ago, all sorts of study aids were included in Bibles. Pronunciation guides, fold-out maps, footnotes, charts, graphs, glosses, illustrations, marginalia, and annotations. The Kitto Bible of 1836, for example, comes in 66 volumes. It includes over 30,000 prints and illustrations. Economic market forces of production and distribution, cultural changes, political upheaval, advances in textual criticism, artistic devotion, religious partisanships of all sorts, liturgical innovations, all of these and more, Laurie Farrell shows, are part of the Bible's very human biography. Laurie Ann Farrell, The Bible and the People. For film this week, I review The Reader from 2008. Kate Winslet lends this film automatic star power. But in my opinion, the movie flounders because of two major flaws. First, there are at least four or five stories here, beginning with 15-year-old Michael Berg, who has a summer love affair with Hannah Schmitz, played by Winslet, who was almost 40. And then, nearly an hour later, and without any warning, the reader turns into a Holocaust film, and as you would expect, with all the attendant themes. There are also deeply personal 
moral, and legal twists that turn the film into a melodrama. What appears to be a minor subplot turns into an undeveloped major theme in the very last minutes of the film. Finally, with the film flashing back and forth between Michael's obsession with his past, the reader is also a study of the power of memory to shape the present. The second major flaw is that all these separate but related stories require a significant suspension of disbelief on the part of the viewer. A teenage love affair with an older woman is not the only twist that begs many complicated questions. The film is based upon a novel by Bernard Schlink. The Reader from 2008. And finally, we've posted one of my favorite poems by the British writer and mystic Edwina Gately. It's called, Let Your God Love You. Be silent. Be still. Alone. Empty before your God. Say nothing. Ask nothing. Be silent. Be still. Let your God look upon you. That is all. God knows. God understands. God loves you with an enormous love and only wants to look upon you with that love. Quiet. Still. Be. Let your God love you. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, May the 10th, 2009. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.